Here we go, rejecting the screen, going ISO as we do every Thursday, the long-form edition, Noah Kozlov and Adam Stenko. This week, it's with the Boston Globe's media reporter. He's Chad Finn. Chad, let's start on the local broadcast side. For the NBA, do local broadcasts need to change? Um, I, I Probably... It- it depends on which ones you're talking about. I mean, there's, there's quite a variety of uh, ones that play it uh, fairly straight laced and ones that are blatant homers and, uh, you know, kind of uh, kind of do the team's bidding. But um, I tend to think we're in a pretty good spot with them. I mean, based on what we have here in Boston or, what you know, what you see with the Knicks in New York or something like that. Uh, I think most, most uh, fan bases are pretty content with their teams. I know here um, – such as uh, on Christmas Day that we had the local broadcast of the Celtics Raptors and it was the ESPR ABC broadcast as well at noon. And uh, the local broadcast did a lot better uh, around here than the ESPN broadcast did. And uh, I think that, you know, some ways that's a little bit of homerism or, or picking what you used to probably, but I think it's also a sign that uh, uh, that you're happy with the broadcast you normally get. And to me, that's sort of the bottom line is that the fan base is, happy and satisfied, then uh, you're probably doing something right. Chad, uh, in terms of changes that you foresee, what do you think the NBA viewing experience looks like a year from now and then projecting even forward maybe 10 years from now? <laughs> 10 years? I have no idea. Doris Burke will still be doing good work. I know that. But, uh, uh, I mean, 10 years from now, just look at how much things have changed in the last year last three years last five years um i know the the nba has concerns right now about what uh about what uh the the way ratings are trending and uh that when something like that happens like they were down 15 percent as of the start of the month uh, across the board on the national broadcast espn and and tnt uh, when that happens it tends to spur conversations about what they need to do better but uh i don't know what uh what the immediate future holds other than they're experimenting with different angles. You get the uh, NBA 2K 19 or 20, whatever you want to call it now, version of the the camera that they broke out on Christmas Day. And I didn't hear a lot of compliments about that. It felt a little bit disorienting and uh, it felt like you're further away from the action than you are when you normally have that, the, the usual sideline camera going back and forth. But uh I don't know, you know, broadcast teams try to implement uh, social media more and more, and you tend to see that more in the local broadcasts than the national stuff, but I don't, I'm not sure what real value there is to that, whether that uh, actually has any impact on people's viewership habits or whether they enjoy the broadcast more. I just think uh, there's technology that's going to be invented that we don't even know yet that is uh, it's going to enhance, uh, enhance the whole experience for viewers, but the time frame for that, I don't really know. You mentioned ratings. Yeah. Uh, we've talked at length, actually, on this podcast about reasons that the ratings might be down. I mean, we, we've boiled it down and maybe as simple in some cases as just the injuries to some some critical players here this season. Yeah. What reason what reason do you give for the for the NBA's ratings being down? How concerned about it are you? Yeah, I, I'm surprised. I thought Christmas Day would be uh, something of a turning point. Um tended to happen in the past where for casual fans, that's almost where the season begins. You know, they're gathered around on Christmas, the games are on, they have them in the background and uh, they suddenly, suddenly clicks in that the NBA season is in full throttle and you tend to see ratings start trending upward from that point, but it didn't happen. Numbers were down again. Uh, I've written a little bit about this and I, I think, uh, I think my feeling is probably the same as yours that uh, they've, they've just taken a, a couple of lumps in terms of star power, number one being what's happened with the Warriors uh, because they were scheduled, I believe, to be on national TV 31 times this year with the adjustment for more games. And, you know, you lose Clay in the finals last year. You lose Steph pretty early in the season. And suddenly, uh, you know, it's D'Angelo Russell and a bunch of guys who you, you, you really haven't heard much from before this year. So uh, it's that's had somewhat of an impact, but that's not a 15% drop impact. I think China had a little bit of an effect. Uh, I, I'm wary of getting into the po- political aspect of all this, because I thought with the NFL, with the players kneeling a few years back in Kaepernick, it was all pretty overblown in terms of the effect it had on ratings, and, and ratings bounced back very, very quickly after that. 
but uh, that may be a factor, uh, at least turning off some casual fans. But I tend to think it's more the star power factor and the, the, also the element that uh, mm-hmm. LeBron James is on the West Coast now. Some of the more uh, the, the better players in the league and better teams in the league, Kawhi with the Clippers, are out West, and they're not uh, they're not getting uh, the, the, the East Coast viewership that uh, they would when LeBron was in Cleveland or that sort of thing. But uh, I still... I'm optimistic about it. I think it's going to get better. I just think people need to realize how good the Bucks are and how compelling the Sixers are for better or worse and uh, need to realize that if LeBron and AD stay healthy and, and uh, Kawhi stays healthy with the Clippers, that we're on a perhaps uh, epic collision course with the two LA teams and that, that the storylines just need to capture the attention, I think, a little bit uh, more of the casual fan. And once that happens, I expect numbers to trend upward, but Thought it would already happen by now, so uh, we'll see if I'm right about this. More from Chad in a moment. Are you the type of fan that knows football so well that you could choose any game and call it? Well, my book is the place for you because they let you turn all of your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. So between football season, the NBA, started college hoops, it's time to get off the sideline and get in the action with my bookie. So if you're tired of watching the games from the couch with really nothing to gain except for pure entertainment, my bookie wants to get your mind off everything and then get back on the game. If you join right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to a thousand bucks. So that means if you deposit two thousand, you'll get an extra grand in free money to play with. Just use the promo code Locked On, L O C K E D on Locked On to activate the offer. Once again, promo code Locked On. Take advantage of my bookie's generous sign-up offer. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Now, I know the, the positive storylines, they are, they're everywhere, but on radio, it's the negative that drives phone calls and drives reaction. And then I know that drives the league nuts, but I also know that it drives the league, the league crazy when <laughs> Jeff Van Gundy is on a national broadcast railing against load management in the first two minutes of a game where no stars are even sitting and all of a sudden he just brings up the you know the four letter word. Yeah. So 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 what what type of responsibility does a national broadcast partner have not to dwell on the negative? <laughs> Maybe mention a little bit later than the first two minutes. <laughs> right. Something like that. I don't know. But you, you do need to address it because, again, it's a factor and it's one that uh, it's one that it, it's common sense in terms of what the teams are trying to do. I mean, we have so much more information now than we did 10, 15, 20 years ago, or let alone back when guys were in Converse All-Stars in the 60s. And uh, uh, you had no idea about the the, the burden of uh, what you were doing to your body playing back-to-back days or, or – or, you know, three day, three games in four game, uh, four days, or whatever it might be. We we know now the effects uh, that the the workload has on the body, and so in a lot a lot of ways, it's it's wise for the teams to do what they do. I think you could say that the Raptors handled quite really well last year, and they got the big payoff in the end. But uh, in the in the micro sense, on a daily basis, when you've you know paid sixty five bucks for mid level tickets, and you go to a game and uh, you know, Kawhi's sitting out or, uh, you know, LeBron or whoever, name any star, and they happen to not be playing that night, uh, That that's going to have a negative impact in the league, and it's going to change perception a little bit. And uh, maybe it's not fair because what they're doing, it may not be best for the fan that's in the stands that night, but it's, it, uh, oftentimes it's best for the team long term. But uh, the impression that it leaves and the, the sense that it, uh, it's uh, these guys taking a night off when they don't need one, that's uh, – you know, that uh, tends, to, tends to hurt the image of the league a little bit unfairly. Yeah, I mean, I've long said that if fans don't like the way that their team is operating, the only way to impact that is not pay for tickets, not go to right. games, not watch them on television. Because financially is the only way that you can have some sort of impact and hurt that hurt, hurt that organization, despite you loving that organization as a fan. But if you want to make a difference, financially is the only way to make that difference. But if the league itself is, you know, the league and and TV partners and radio partners to a certain extent, there's so much money involved. What, what type of, what type of responsibility does a national broadcast have to focus on 
a po- focus on a positive or focus on more positive storylines, even with, even if it's in game or even if it's on. So, so the the signature show, the jump or or countdown. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that's a good question because you watch the jump and uh, Rachel and the panel address everything. Uh, they'll address uh, the most negative story in the league. They did. She did uh, some some of her best work in that show during the Donald Sterling stuff with the Clippers, which I'm sure the league, as well as Adam Silver, handled it. Uh, certainly wished it didn't get the publicity that it did. Uh, so um, you can be honest, and you should be honest, and you should be upfront about it. I think the league's bigger issue is that sometimes, uh, and whether we're talking Van Gundy or his brother or other broadcasters <laughs> in particular, tend to dwell on the negative or tend to bring out the negative uh, before before it's really necessary or before uh, addressing some of the things that are more positive about the particular game you have that night, the teams that are playing in that game or the league as a whole. Um, I can understand where that would rub people the wrong way. But, you know, you talk about the, the fact that the stands are generally packed. That that I get mad when people complain about player salaries uh, because we're, I hear from fans all the time, and this isn't just NBA, but other sports, where we're dealing with the, the Red Sox here with Mookie Betts' contract being up after the season. Well, he's not worth X amount of dollars, $40 million. Well, there's 37,000 people at the ballpark every night. There are 18,000 people at TD Garden every night. Uh, right. And you're not there to see the owner. You know, you're there to see the best player and the, and, and the best team. And so... You're right, Noah. The only way for fans to have an effect is to not go, and the demand is still uh, remarkable in the NBA, and that's why these guys make so much money. And I always get, I mean, this is a tangent, but I always get so frustrated when people say the players aren't worth the money because the alternative is that the owners pocket it. And I just don't get the concept of rooting for owners to uh, make more and more money at the expense of putting out the best basketball team that you can. I mean, if if fans really want to get into it, they should look at which players are making the money that that they're essentially making, at least as far as NBA rosters go. And the truth of the matter is, if you're going to make that argument in general, then you have to also make the counter argument that, okay, well, the superstars aren't making as much as they deserve, because that's for sure. Max contracts right. actually are somewhat limited for the superstars in the NBA, because sure, they're worth a lot more. if you look at metrics, more. you know, like what a player's value is for a given game, it, it vastly exceeds what the highest salaries are. The, you know, the, in baseball, it's a war. NBA, it's, you know, break it down any way you want to. But the fact is that uh, the superstars are worth the money and then some, especially in a league where fewer players have an impact. So you have, you know, a, a short roster and five guys on the court at the time. Uh, the best players are more valuable in basketball, I'd argue, than they are in any other sport. And so let them make the money. But uh, for some reason, fans don't see it that way. They feel like uh, what they're spending out of their own pocket is uh, is is going to the wrong sources, and it really is not. Noah and I have talked a lot about the entertainment that we find from inside the NBA and, you know, for better or worse. And obviously there's, there's things that people take too seriously. I think sometimes we've discussed that, but what I'm curious about Chad, why do you think it is? And, and I worked at ESPN for seven years and I remember being in meetings regarding how to challenge inside the NBA. Why is it that you think the, that ESPN has not been able to find a formula that comes even remotely close to an entertainment value that that inside the NBA brings, they haven't been able to hire Charles Barkley. I mean, <laughs> uh, I, I, it's interesting because I, I was really uh, when did when did Shaq retire? Was it after the 2012 season, somewhere around there? Spent that last season in Boston, and there was a bidding war for his services. And I was obviously the star power is uh, way up there. Uh, I mean, he can do his ads for. Icy Hot and the General and anything in the world, and he's a he's a highly you know as a highly recognized pitch man. So I understand the appeal there, but uh, I didn't think they needed to mess with the formula on TNT with, with Ernie Charles and Kenny, and you know, sometimes a guest with them. But uh, they brought in Jack, and and he's really seemed to hit his stride this year in the last couple of years and fitting in with those guys. But uh, uh, to me, even going back to before he was there. Um, it's just it's the fact that Barkley is the, that rare force in sports media, really culture as a whole, where uh, he can pretty much say or do anything and get away with it, uh, which doesn't happen nowadays. And he does that because of force of personality and his charisma 
And uh, the fact that he's just somebody you want to spend time with. He's somebody who, uh, after the game is over, you, you flip over there and uh, you want to hear what he, he has to say and how those guys interact and the fun that they have talking about the game like you would with uh, your buddies. And uh, that's a really, really hard thing to replicate. I think Fox came pretty close to it in baseball a couple of years ago when they had uh, Pedro Martinez and Gary Sheffield and, yep. and guys like that. But it's not it, it doesn't sustain for a long time. And I, I don't think necessarily you can say bad groups or bad personalities. I really like Jalen Rose. I, I think Paul Pierce had some value as a troll. You know, mm-hmm. somebody had hot takes all the time, but it was kind of entertaining about it. Uh, but you, you just uh, TNT has the best studio show in the history of televised professional sports, as far as I'm concerned. And that's a, it's a really hard bar to to try to even come close to that, let alone match it. And uh, I, all in all, I think ESPN's done a pretty good job with it. It's just the fact that. Uh, they can't get to that level because nobody else has been able to. Right. I enjoy watching inside the NBA, not for the basketball analysis, because I'm never convinced that Shaq and Charles are actually <laughs> watching the game. Right. Adam and I, Adam and I have talked about this. I mean, when scandal was on during their run, Barkley would say, oh, I'm not watching, I'm not watching this game. Scandal's on. And he's sitting in the back <laughs> watching, watching scandal. So I'm more interested to see Shaq and, and Barkley trade fat jokes and then Ernie try to work in some sort of basketball mention during a highlight that is playing and see how he brings it all together. And then Kenny just drops in, you know, a certain and a certain basketball nugget every now and then. So I'm more interested in seeing the entertainment from them. And on ESPN, it seems like they they're trying to find the entertainment value, but at TNT, they know that Barkley is the star. And on ESPN, yeah. it still seems like right. It still seems like that it's a bunch of analysts trying to be the star. And when you have a bunch of guys trying to be the star all at the same time, it's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they've had some mixes that were, didn't really work. Uh, you know, when Magic Johnson was involved, uh, they had the they had Doug Collins, who's a good analyst, but he's not the most charismatic personality in that role, uh, especially, you know, people people may remember him as a Bulls coach and uh, – yeah, but he's probably if you're trying to catch a younger demographic, nobody nobody remembers him as the player he was for the Sixers or like the guy in the '72 Olympic team mm-hmm. or any of that stuff. So you tend to you need to be a little bit more modern with it sometimes than ESPN was, and they've been been better about that. You know, hiring Pierce after self experience at working again, like Stephen Jackson, uh, Scottie Pippen, and and Tracy McGrady and people like that. But uh, it's just the the bar is is one that no no bra, uh, no studio program in any other sport has been able to reach. And uh, TNT's, uh, just by force of personality with Barkley and the, the camaraderie and chemistry that those guys have established, nobody's going to get there until they start to uh, slip a little bit at night. I can't see that happening. It's not like their preparation is going to get any less or anything like that. Or Ernie's going to lose his fastball. It's just a, it's a well-oiled machine right now. And uh uh, that's a, it's an impossible task to try to equal that. And w- what's so wild is that, I mean, still so many viewers take what Barkley says as actual basketball analysis, like what he did with Chris Porzingis this week. I just, there's just no reason for me to take what he says seriously. I just, I'm watching that show for entertainment purposes. So, I'm and I actually, after Embiid. Well, so Adam and I talked about that, and yeah. I want to get into what, like, how Barkley comported himself as a player off the court. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think Embiid, I think that was a a brilliant PR move by Embiid. I really don't think he cares what Shaq and Barkley say about him. I don't think Embiid cares yeah. what anybody says about him. But I think that was a brilliant PR move by Embiid to just kowtow to them and make it seem like. Yep, I paid attention to those guys. You guys got me motivated because then it pumps those guys up, and then maybe they'll get off. Uh, they'll get off Embiid's back. I really don't. I really don't think he cared what what they said about him. But I thought it was brilliant that Embiid made it seem like that those two were the motivating factors behind his performance that night. I see. I thought that was the best Shaq he's been on that show because uh, he was candid. You know, acknowledging that as a player, uh, you know. He didn't put it this way, but Kobe Bryant was right about him sometimes. That uh, mm-hmm. uh, he wasn't always in shape, or the effort uh, wasn't always maximum until until the postseason, until something real was at stake. And uh, I, 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 
I like the uh, the I've been there, I know what I'm talking about approach to that. Certainly Barkley is the same way. He wasn't uh, the most finely conditioned athlete uh, in his day either. But uh, uh, I, I think the fact that both of those guys knew what they were talking about from first-person experience really added to that. And um, studio shows really don't get any better than when the people on them uh, have the experience uh, to to discuss a particular situation or a specific thing that they went through themselves that another player is now going through that, uh, that connection and, and relatability to certain circumstances is, um, is something that uh, not a lot of guys have. And I thought that, I thought that was, was them at their best in terms of being really candid, not only about what MVP needed to do, but about what they did themselves. Right. So when a next player has to be in a, in a wheelchair coming off the court, then, yeah, Paul Pierce is uniquely <laughs> positioned to talk about that. <laughs> it was almost right, like exactly. the guy to, to a most likely current player to come back, uh, take a wheelchair, and then end up back in the game. Um, oh, that's good. <laughs> good question. Mark is smart, good I question. think. Uh, no, see, I, see, I think it would take everything. In, like, I think Marcus Smart would, if he had his leg dangling off, he would still, he would hop yeah, off maybe. on the other one. That's how, that's how tough he is. I would say JaVale McGee, but... He's not in the uh, he's not in the the Paul Pierce he's not in the Paul Pierce yeah. realm of great players. But Adam brought up what you what you did about Embiid um, on the Embiid thing about Barkley and Shaq being in that position as superstars to be able to talk about what it is to be a superstar. And then yeah, I yeah. brought up on our Tuesday, in our Tuesday podcast a quote that I mean Bob Ford had told me this story. You know Bob, the longtime columnist for sure. the Philadelphia Inquirer, and he used to cover the Sixers. And Bob told me about a night that the Sixers barely beat the New Jersey Nets. And Barkley, post-game, in the locker room, Bob was there with, with the late Phil Jasner, and he said, that's one of those games that if you lose, you go home and beat your wife and kids. Right, you didn't I'm see my... You, you, so, and then they said, if you guys want to... And then, then Bob and Phil said, you can walk that back if you want. We won't print it. And he said, no, no, print it. And then there was the protest outside the spectrum. Like, Barkley... Yeah, he's in position to talk about what it's like to be a superstar, but there's no way that Barkley could act like he did off the court or say those things now. So you're saying there's some hypocrisy there with Barkley when he criticizes yes, those slight. people? Yes, yeah, slight, <laughs> yeah. slight hypocrisy. Well, well, that's one more thing he can get away with. It's true. That's <laughs> true. I grew up in Massachusetts. I, I spent a few years there. Um, in the mid eighties moved to Pennsylvania when I was about 10 or 11. But anyhow, at the time, Boston obviously was a Red Sox and a Celtics town. Now that yeah. the Patriots have just taken over everything. I'm curious, how is it covering the Celtics right now with the current landscape with the, the Patriots dominating so much of the coverage? Yeah. The, the Patriots thing's really interesting because, uh, We'll see what happens if if they lose that Sunday or lose the week after that, and it, it sets off a chain reaction where um, some of the key pieces to this uh, really unprecedented dynasty, given that the NFL set up for parity and they've dominated for 20 years now. Um, if Tom Brady moves on at age 42 or if uh, core guys on the roster go, We'll see how much of a Patriot time this is when uh, when things start to slip and uh, you know they have a nine and seven season or an eight and eight season. Uh, there's a real real sense of entitlement with it, I think, because and understandably because we've got a generation now that knows nothing but this uh, with the Patriots. If you're 25 years old now, you're six years old when Tom Brady uh, won the Super Bowl in 2001. You you just don't know. Uh, you don't know the downside of rooting for a professional franchise. And so uh, it does dominate everything um, and it should, but there's a shift coming probably uh, to at least slightly downward, uh, even if Bill Belichick is still here. And I'm really curious to see what happens then, uh, whether there's backlash from people who are, are used to them winning everything and don't realize that this just doesn't happen. This, uh, the right. stretches aren't supposed to happen. So, that that's sort of the uh, the horizon over everything in terms of sports coverage in Boston. But uh, the Celtics are in a really good place. It's uh, it, it's got a really diverse group of reporters that cover them that cover them in a bunch of different ways. And um, 
uh, from different angles. Uh, the team is pretty open in terms of access. Uh, last year was absolutely miserable for um, really one reason. It was, Kyrie Irving was uh, just sort of a he, he was a cloud over everything, and I, I in some ways I sympathize with him. I think he's got things he deals with, uh, and and uh, can't affect his uh, can't uh, you know can't uh, control his moods sometimes, and that that's understandable. But the the reality was it, it affected everything last year. He moved on. Um, they brought in Kemba Walker, whose personality is about uh, 179 degrees from Kyrie's. He's a Super upbeat guy, knows the name of everybody, genuine, uh, doesn't really care if Jason Tatum takes the last shot. Uh, and so the whole culture around the team has changed. So it's a really it's a really uh, fun team to cover right now with, with the Tatum and Brown ascending and with Kemba coming here with a sunny disposition and changing things from last year. And the sense that Brad Stevens has the kind of team that uh, he wants where uh, sort of positionless basketball sometimes and the ball is shared. and the offensive is offensive is uh, offensive is creative and the defense is uh, pretty stout and um, that all adds up to uh, a team I think the beat writers really enjoy being around especially in comparison to last season so uh, I would say it's one of the better situations in the NBA in terms of um, openness from the front office access from the front office. Uh, and the players and, and, and the, the coaching staff being in a really good place in terms of uh, how they feel about things and, and their place in the Boston sports landscape. Correct me if I'm wrong here with Kyrie last year, Chad. Was a lot of the stuff about Kyrie taking that team down behind yeah. the scenes was written about after was written about after the fact. How, how do yeah. you how, how do you then go about whether it's criticizing reporters or what you're feeling on how reporters should handle things like that in real time and how that has evolved over the years from how Bob Ryan used to cover the Celtics, Jackie McMullen used to cover the Celtics, yeah. and how the Celtics are covered now. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's justifiable what happened last year because the worst situations that happened during the course of the season that were written about uh, Jalen Brown and, and Kyrie went back and forth in the media a couple of times. Kyrie mm -hmm. early in the year blamed the young guys for the team right, struggles. They start start ten and ten, and he kind of put it on Tatum and Brown's shoulders. And Terry was there to a point too. And Jalen went back at him. And uh, I'm not sure at the time. I, I, I think the perception was Jalen might not be the right guy to do that, just because he's still establishing himself as a player, but. Uh, what happened over the course of the year was he was the one guy who, who got better in the second half of the year while also not taking Kyrie's uh, crap. Not to, If Kyrie went after those guys, he fought back, whereas some of the other guys just sort of wilted and shrugged and uh, you know tried to avoid the situation. Uh, Jalen stood up for himself a little bit. Uh, I think it weighed actually on Al Horford quite a bit too because there was a sense, not that he's a young player, but there was a sense that Kyrie didn't like the fact that the young guys leaned on Horford as sort of the uh, the mentor and the older guy when Kyrie thought it should be him leading the team because he's a better player. Uh, so that caused some friction a little bit as well. But um, I think this stuff was all covered during the course of the year. Terry Rozier talking about how uh, it was really difficult for him with Kyrie coming back from his injury to not get the shots and then watching Rozier go out and fire it up every time he touched it. Uh, in his limited minutes. This stuff was all written about over the course of the season, and yet there was a sense, and Kyrie promises himself that they were going to have to flip the switch when the playoffs started. And they ran through Indiana pretty easily, and they won mm -hmm. that game one against the Bucks. We remember Paul Pierce saying the series is over yeah. because he's a great troll. Right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, there was a real feeling that Kyrie was right, that the team was going to uh, – overcome all of its problems when the, the bright lights came on and then all of a sudden they lost the uh, lost four in a row in that series and Kyrie didn't switch on to Giannis in the last game and didn't play any defense at all and did all these weird things on the court and um, the media was caught off guard I think a little bit by that but uh, there was also reason to believe from what we saw early in the playoffs that indeed that for all their issues they were going to be able to uh, play their best when uh, the situation was the most important and for a very brief time they did that. So when it all went wrong, it felt like it all went wrong in a really short space. And the re we realized 
they were what they were all along. Uh, you know, they, they ultimately ended up being an underachieving team that didn't really like each other very much. Found it interesting that you you wrote pretty early on this season that you knew that you were wrong because you knew that Kyrie would take down the Nets. You just didn't think it would happen as quickly <laughs> as it did. So you wanted to apologize for being wrong about, about how quickly it would take. Uh, Chad, how much is Brad Stevens protected from criticism? Uh, he got a lot last year. Uh, I felt like it was a little bit too much, actually, because I don't know if there's a coach in the league that would have been able to harness that situation. Maybe Pop, you know, uh, maybe one or two other guys. But the, the fact was, their best player wasn't on board. Um, he was a, a, I mean, Kyrie's an incredible player. I loved watching him play, and there were some really good times with him here. But, uh, he was also pretty checked out as the, uh, as we got uh, through certain points of the year. Um, he was a guy who clearly was frustrated with the younger players, and uh, they had that issue. They also had the issue of probably too many players who felt like they deserved playing time, which Danny Ainge has acknowledged was his fault. Having Terry Rose, he should have traded Terry Rose here. The Suns made a, a decent offer before the start of the season, and the Celtics didn't take it. I think he regretted doing that because. Uh, he 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 became someone who's going into free agency. He was very oriented on his own statistics. Marcus Morris was a guy who played very well for them last year, but he was a ball stopper in the offense, and uh, yeah, he he was uh, not a divisive person, but a very outspoken one. And on the court, he wasn't always uh, going along with what they needed. And I just don't know how any coach. Uh, would have would have been able to control that situation when your your best player isn't uh, very happy with a guy like Horford. He's not very happy with the young core that you're trying to develop, and he's going into free agency. That's a that's a really tough tough situation for any coach to deal with. So I kind of gave him a little bit of a pass on that last year, and uh, I, I every one of his teams before that had overachieved. This year, uh, they're better than people thought they were going to be by far. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Brad got criticism last year, but I actually felt like uh, in the, the, the sports uh, radio world up here, probably went a little too far. I just, I still can't believe there wasn't a single doctor in Boston that would perform emergency deviated septum surgery over Memorial Day weekend for Kyrie Irving. I just, I, it is so, it's still so unfathomable that he had, yeah. that he couldn't, one, that he had to have emergency deviated septum surgery for the first time in the history of the world, but that there was nobody in town that could do that. And he, he couldn't be on the bench for game seven. I, I don't think I'll ever yeah, get over that. Was that an Uncle Drew thing? I think there wasn't that. It was, wasn't he off uh, doing something for Uncle Drew too along those times? Or, or yeah, something I wouldn't, like that. I wouldn't I mean, be surprised. I don't know. He's just got such a history of checking out. It, it, it makes you skeptical. I know. I think Barkley actually called him out the other day about what's going on now with the. Uh, oh, Shaq called him out about the, with the shoulder injury and whether he's taking a. He's right. taking a red shirt year here waiting for Durant to come back. I mean, that that feels like kind of an unfair thing to say, but then you look and, you know, Kyrie never plays in the games on the road against his former teams. Uh, Kyrie never, uh, Kyrie didn't show up for the playoffs to the Celtics in game seven when they were, they the young team without him took the Cavs to, to game seven of the East Finals a couple of years ago and Kyrie wasn't there. It's uh, uh, He's kind of got a history of checking out when he feels like checking out, so. I, I think he's beyond the point of uh, getting the benefit of the doubt with this stuff. Can't wait for Spencer Dimwitty to be an all-star and Kyrie not to be an all-star this year. <laughs> Chad, what's the what's the future of the Celtics local broadcasts? Uh, well, Tommy Heinsohn is uh, the color analyst, and he's 84 years old. He's been a member of the Celtics organization in one form or another since 1956. <laughs> and they've handled uh, they've handled him with uh, remarkable um, grace in terms of sort of as he's gotten older, letting him uh, do the games that he wants. He doesn't travel on the road anymore. He does most of the home games, or he'll be in the studio sometimes for the the road games. And uh, he, I mean, he's the all-time homer. Uh, you go back and watch like on Hardwood Classics, the. Uh, was the CBS games, the Lakers and Celtics, the Sixers and Celtics in the mm-hmm. early 80s. And uh, you can hear him desperately trying to play it down the middle, but it doesn't always work. Uh, it's uh, he He's still pretty good. I mean, he's, uh, he's uh, uh, 
yells at the refs a lot and uh, uh, complains about uh, non-Celtics uh, players not getting foul calls when they weren't touched, but he's been doing that as long as I can remember for the, rest mm-hmm. of my, uh, the entirety of my life. So he is what he is, and I, I think they're going to uh, let him do the job as long as he can do it, which is a good thing. He's, a, he's an institution, and he's still the, – the one thing I really admire about him is that he's he still really likes the modern NBA. The guy's in his 80s, and uh, he can still tell you who the backup guard, shooting guard for the Kings is, and things like that. But uh, he really still loves this league, and he's not one. He's one of those back in my day guys, but that it doesn't mean it make him completely dismiss the game nowadays. Uh, his partner is Mike Gorman. They've been together 37 years, I think, on the broadcast. He's as good as it gets for an NBA announcer. He, he could have Mike Green's job, and uh, uh, nobody would notice the switch. He's uh, He's just uh, he's tremendous at it, and I hope he's on this. He's in his early 70s. I hope he does this as long as he can. And then uh, Brian Scalabrini set up to be the the, the long-term answer uh, when Tommy retires. He does all the road games now with Gorman, and he's in the studio. And uh, it's a very prominent part of NBC Sports Boston's uh, uh, broadcast. So they're uh, they're in really good shape, I think. I think it's uh, it's a pretty good broadcast for for a uh, uh, regional uh, cable network. Would Sean Grandy move from radio to TV whenever Mike Gorman decides this is it? Yeah, I would. I would hope so. I mean, Grandy's had a pretty interesting career. He came here back in I think it was two thousand one. He was a really young guy, and he already had the Minnesota Timberwolves uh, TV right. gig. And uh, I, I actually have a story coming out soon on this old radio station in Boston that's long defunct, but. Uh, guys like Bill Simmons, uh, Ryan Masillo, Mike Giardi from the NFL Network, Michael Holly, people like that got their start there. So, what are you talking uh, about? Fifteen ten the zone. I am fifteen ten the zone. Yeah. You, uh, yeah, you I worked. I worked there. Yeah, so let's include Noah's right. name in the piece. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to cut the piece in half. I wrote so much on it. So uh, that's, that's sorry, Noah. Day, but Grandy. Grandy came here for that gig, and uh, he's been doing the radio with Cedric Maxwell since. And uh, he's a guy with already with TV experience. And in the piece I wrote, Simmons is like, uh, uh, it was shocking for Grandy to come here because you don't give up those jobs. You uh, when you leave, we, there are what thirty of them, thirty-two of them, whatever it is. Uh, if you leave one of those jobs, um, there are a million other people who who want it, and uh, you get one of those gigs, you become Mike Dorman, and and uh, stay in it for as uh, long as you possibly can. So, yeah, it wouldn't shock me if Grandy moved over, but uh, he and Max have a great thing going on the radio. They're really, really good together. Maybe the best best broadcast team we have here in Boston. What was your first piece for the Boston Globe online? Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, Red Sox trade for Edgar Renteria, I think it might have been. <laughs> I mean, I've been here. I came here as a copy editor back in uh, – and page designer, so I laid out this section back in, in 2003, and I'd been a writer previously, smaller papers up in Concord, New Hampshire, but uh, Globe was the place I always wanted to work, so um, took a job on the desk here when when I was offered one uh, in 2003, and actually didn't write for quite a while. I, uh, I started a blog in 2004 after the Red Sox won the World Series because I was so pissed that I didn't have an outlet to write about it when they actually one thing. So um, I did that. I got a little bit of notice, developed some readers. Uh, my editor read it like a year after I'd been doing it and called me into his office and said, uh, so I hear you have a blog. And I was like, yeah, you know, I just write about baseball, basketball. And he says, as long as you're not killing Shaughnessy, you can keep doing it. So <laughs> that's that sort of the perception of what a blog was at that time. But so eventually, all kinds of things sprung up here for opportunities for people. ESPN Boston launched, the WEI launched a, a website, NBC Sports Boston launched uh, and hired a bunch of the personalities that are still on there. And so we sort of beefed up our online coverage at the same time. And, and part of that was moving me over from editing to being a writer on the website on boston.com, the globe, and some form or fashion. I picked up the media being 2009, some form or fashion. I've been doing, uh, doing all that ever since, but, uh, one of the first pieces I wrote uh, for the site after they, they moved me over was uh, filling in the gaps from what happened uh, between 1986 when the Celtics last won a championship and and uh, 2008 when uh, they got back, when they, uh, when they won one again, the 2007-2008 season and all the ups and downs and tragedies that they had to endure and those sorts of things. So one of my first pieces was, uh, was about the Celtics and uh, – 
all the things that went wrong in between titles. What, what, do you remember your first Celtics assignment at one of those smaller papers before you got to the Globe? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I covered, uh, I covered uh, their runs through the playoffs. <laughs> they don't even feel like they actually happened because they were so weird and improbable. And the Eastern Conference was still lousy in those days. But I covered the uh, 01, 02, 03 Celtics in the playoffs. So the two teams that uh, the two teams that lost to the Nets once in the Eastern Conference Finals it was uh, you know it was Pierce and Antoine Walker, and then guys like Tony Delk and Rodney Rogers and Eric Strickland was one of my favorite players, a gritty backup guard that they had. And uh, those teams overachieved. Uh, Jim O'Brien was the coach, and he basically mm-hmm. let them do whatever they wanted to do on offense. Uh, yes, as long as they played hard on D. So you had, you know, Antoine Walker gets asked uh, uh, what takes so many threes, and he says because there are no fours. So that was kind of their offensive <laughs> philosophy in those days. But uh, I covered those teams. The Celtics and Sixers had a pretty good battle there, and Pierce, uh, Pierce and Iverson went head to head, and Pierce dropped forty-seven something on them to, to win a playoff game. Uh, and, and, and that series. So there were some good times back then. And uh, uh, right around the time Danny Ainge came aboard and with Burrowspeck bought the team, I started covering them. And uh, it's been a pretty good ride. Those uh, those guys know what they're doing, even though some people around here will complain that Ainge has only won one title as a GM. Um, fact is, uh, there, there have been some a uh, lot of good times uh, covering the Celtics and a lot of interesting players to cover. Who has been some of the most interesting names that you've that you've covered guys that maybe we don't think about certainly on the national level of this guy is a really fascinating personality who who really has been good to me you know behind the scenes well everybody knows the big one now because he's he's all over the place in the media but uh, kendrick perkins was a godsend when mm. he was here because uh he's just a, he's like he's like he is on tv he's one of the, he's a, a straight shooter who shares his opinion He'll talk to anybody, uh, most down-to-earth guy in the world, and had the respect of everyone. So uh, you had just massive egos on those those really good Celtics teams uh, when KG got here and when they brought in Ray Allen and, uh, before the 2007 season. Uh, yeah, Pierce was already here, and, uh, uh, of course, Rondo is a pretty enigmatic personality himself. And you, you had all those guys in the same room, and, fight with each other but it was us against the world when they got on the court they were as unified as any team i've ever seen but the the one guy who um well kg was hugely respected by everybody but the one guy who everybody just liked who could connect with everybody was perk and i think fans over the last year since he started doing media have uh, really gotten a sense for just his uh, very real uh, genuine uh, likable personality that was uh, real real big uh, it was some of the glue to those great celtic teams so uh, he would be pretty high up on that list. Um, currently, you know, Jalen Brown's really good. He's a really smart guy, and he's uh, he's uh, he knows he's smart, but uh, he's willing to talk about uh, pretty much anything. And I, I I came with a ton of respect for him last year because of the way he handled the Kyrie stuff, which was uh, I don't have to take this. And then he went out on the court and got better and better as the season went on. I think that reflected really well on uh, what he was going to be in the future and he's made a huge leap forward this year in pretty much every aspect of his game as well as emerging as somebody who's a leader on the team so i think he's somebody who's going to do big things not just in his career but uh probably somebody who does a lot of good things in his life because he's a really bright guy uh, but i think that you know in general india guys are really fun to talk to the, the small community there's, there's only uh 12, 14 players in the locker room. Um, you can really get to know them a little bit better, even with limited access than you do covering 53 players on the Patriots. Or, you know, baseball is the absolute worst. I mean, you, you go in the clubhouse before the game and uh, just stand around for an hour and nobody talks to you. And uh, that's the extent of, of your pregame recording. Uh, NBA is a little bit better, a little bit more camaraderie, a little bit more open. And uh, of all sports, it's uh, – by far my favorite one to cover and, and a big part of that is just because of those personalities that the Celtics have had. Chad, logistically, I'm really curious because you cover the Red Sox and the Patriots and the Celtics and you have to go so in depth on all of them, plus, you know, the way the media coverage is laid out. Logistically, how do you do it? How how are you able to to watch all of this and pay attention and know as much as that you as much as you do? Yeah, I mean Part of it's just being a sports fan. I mean, you'd be watching anyway, right? You, 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 sure. you, even if even if you guys weren't uh, 
uh, people who really knew the NBA and uh, had a great outlet to talk about it and, and uh, uh, were in the media, you'd still watch and you'd still care. And uh, I, I think that's a fact with me too. Probably more baseball and basketball than football. Football is not my favorite sport, but you you obviously can't turn away from what the Patriots have accomplished these last 20 years. You're, you're really fortunate to be around something like that. And you have to remember to appreciate it. But um, I just think uh, being a sports fan is a, a huge factor in it because it, it's already a part of your life and would be even if this wasn't your job. But in terms of dividing up um, what to pay attention to, I, I record everything. on. <laughs> I save every TV show I can, uh, pregame, postgame, all of that on uh, on YouTube TV, which we, we have at our house. Um, and uh, that that's a little bit more helpful with that than the cable used to be, you know, where you'd have limited space to record stuff. Uh, big events, you always watch them. Uh, sports radio, I tend to pick my spots because uh, I care about my own mental health. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I'll, I'll listen when I'm in the car. And, and with social media where somebody says something really stupid on on sports radio, you've you've got it. Somebody's somebody's taped it. Uh, it'll be all over the place there. So it's pretty much impossible to, to miss anything in that regard. So. Um, just, uh, I'm not, I'm not keeping the radio on, uh, you know, from 6am to, to 6pm every day, but, uh, uh, just sort of picking your spots and following it like you would as a fan, because if you follow it, uh, as a fan, you're going to intrinsically be, be covering and talking about the stuff that fans care about. All right. So I, I know you're not used to talking this much on a podcast, so we're not going to keep you, we're not going to keep you too much longer. <laughs> I have no idea what this you're talking a, about. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, this, uh. It's gonna. I'm gonna, I'm gonna send this over to Richard Deitch and say, you know, this is actually what Chad Finn's voice sounds like. You don't just, <laughs> don't just I get to have Richard. him on You're the podcast. <laughs> I've, I've got two follow-ups on things that you mentioned recently. We'll get back to to Perk in a moment. But when you're talking about fans with a voice, Bill yeah. Simmons. Does Boston love Bill Simmons still? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Um, I, I think he gets some resentment because he's out in California and. Uh, there's a sense that maybe he's not as plugged into the Boston sports teams other than the Celtics, which he's really still best. I mean, you look at the ringer, it's, uh, the site is what 60% NBA, 20% movies, you know, 20% everything else. Um, it, uh, he's still passionate about the Celtics. He's still very plugged in with the Celtics. Um, but maybe not so much with the Red Sox. So if you, if uh, Boston fans hear him on his podcast talking with uh, his his Yankees friend uh, Jacko there about uh, you know about how things are going, I think maybe there's sometimes some eye rolling there. But his takes on that, and uh, you know, you can it's easier to stay close even when you're three thousand miles away. Uh, if you're you're watching it uh, every night on uh, on uh, however you watch games, it, it's easy enough to do nowadays. But uh, you can't watch everything. And you can't uh, be completely plugged into everything, especially when you're plugged into pop culture and everything else. And that's also part of your job. So I, I think there's a little bit of a uh, a sense that, uh, you know, maybe he's more detached than he realizes on other sports. But uh, I also think it's envy in a lot of a lot of ways. You know, he's, uh, he's made a lot of money. He's got a, a great website. He's got a, a job that uh, he obviously really works very hard at. But he also seems like a dream job to a lot of people who, have grinding, you know, nine to five jobs in sports are their escape or pop culture is their escape. So uh, I think there's, there's probably a little bit of factor of, uh, man, I wish I could do that uh, among fans here as well. And maybe that clouds their perception sometimes. Right. And the last follow-up before we go to our final rejecting the screen question, you mentioned Perk and how great he's been on, on television. It's a, as a viewer, and I also think about it from the journalist side of things, how should we handle former players? I think you hear Jalen Rose do it, Perk, and and some others now, who will say, my sources are telling me this, and then want the credit that Woj gets. Or like Jalen Rose used to do this, and he still does it all the time. Jalen will say, I, I said that forever ago. But it doesn't work that way with, <laughs> the, right. with the ESPN news desk. But the players themselves one of the former players who are now analysts want to be breaking news and they think that's cool, but you know, that doesn't fly at ESPN. How, how should we as, as consumers of this handle that? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, 
obviously ESPN sort of uh, uh, tunnels this stuff towards their their newsbreakers, uh, whether it's Schefter on the NFL or Woj on the NBA, and um, they could, if they wanted to, treat Jalen Rose or Paul Pierce or you know Stephen Jackson or, or McGrady, whoever, as a newsbreaker, if um, if they really wanted to hold them accountable for their sourcing, if uh, uh, I assume the policy is it's a policy with us. You you have to tell your editor uh, if you're not naming a source who the source is, and they can call it up and confirm it if they want to. They can call that person and confirm. I imagine something similar is a place in ESPN where, sure, of course, Woj is as trustworthy as anybody out there, but uh, when you're naming anonymous sources or use, uh, using sources that aren't named, um, you, you you should also have to share who that is with the, your superior. And I think that probably works. And if they want to do that with, uh, if Jalen wanted to do that uh, and uh, the other NBA guys and left it to the discretion of their editor to decide whether the source is somebody that uh, uh, is trustworthy or whether this is just hearsay or gossip or players, or ex-players talking among themselves, they could do that. And they could easily shepherd the credit toward uh, these ex-players. But uh, seems like the structure is really set up there for the, the newsbreakers that they're paying a lot of money to to remain the fundamental newsbreakers. And I can understand the frustration, uh, you know, if Perk's talking to somebody who played with the Cavs and uh, gets the truth about what's going on with Colin Sexton or whatever, you know, something like that. Uh, I can understand why I'm in credit for that, but it uh, just doesn't seem like the fundamental structure at ESPN for the newsbreaking uh, uh, works that way. Chad, uh, this is a Rejecting the Screen podcast. We always ask guests at the end of the show for a player they would choose to go ISO, reject the screen, game-winning situation, you need a bucket. Uh, for all the guys you've covered with the Celtics, we'll narrow it down to that. Who's the guy that, that you've watched in person, covered um, during your time, who you would choose to to reject the screen and, and go ISO? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question because there's so many options with the Celtics. I mean, uh, is Kyrie in a good move that day? Because he might be a good choice. Um, uh, Isaiah Thomas in his uh, one-year heyday would be a, would be a good choice there. Uh, Marcus Smart would have the most confidence out of all of them, even though the, the percentage for the shot going in probably would be among the lowest. But uh, I, I think the choice has to be Paul Pierce just because uh, you know, he went, he's one of the few guys who went head to head with LeBron and won, you know, back in 07. Uh, he beat, beat Kobe Bryant for a title. Uh, his confidence sometimes seems irrational, but it really wasn't irrational. He was just that good. And uh, he also had the old man game where, you know, he could create a shot with an elbow to the ribs and the shoulder and an up fake and an up fake and uh, get the look he was going for, even if he had, the, you know, a great defender in his face. So, uh, I'll take Paul Pierce and his wheelchair for uh, for that choice. <laughs> all right. He's Chad Finn of the Boston Globe, boston.com. You can read all of his work there. Chad, we appreciate all the time. Happy New Year. Thanks, pal. Good talking to you guys. It was really fun. So I used to spend a lot of time with Chad on doing video chats, not about Boston media, but all sorts of Boston sports. And we used to spend so much time before the record button went on that we then finally have to say, all right, hey, we gotta, you gotta knock this thing out. We only have three minutes. We only have three minutes left. It's in a in a Boston media environment that is so cutthroat and oftentimes disgusting, especially when it comes to sports radio. It's so wild to me that Chad, who is really the ultimate gentleman, is right. the one who is the one right. who is covering all of this for his job. <laughs> And he's so fair. That's the thing that's, uh, and you know, in a way, it sort of makes him perfect for the job. So even though he might be the mm -hmm. unexpected guy to do it, he's also the perfect guy to do it because he has such reason takes and he's fair, but he's also critical when it when it calls for it. And oh, that's sure. certainly, certainly necessary. And yeah, I mean, you pointed out the idea that in Boston, the way sports are covered is just different than than anywhere else. And I mean, you and I both familiar with how sports are covered in the Northeast and they each have their, you know, I, I think about when I say the Northeast, I'm referring to Boston, New York, Philly, right? I'm not even, I'm not even including DC, Baltimore. I think that scene's a little bit different. And maybe just cause I'm not 
familiar with it. But I think with those three uh, cities, I've always just found they, they each have their own sort of way of doing things and how sports are covered and what's expected out of their star athletes and their coaches and how people should handle the media. And obviously, no, we're so familiar with how things are in Philly and and certainly New York has its own twist. Although New York, I think gets oh, that it's impossible to play for New York. Are you kidding? Get out of here with that. I Nothing bothers me more than that idea that it's impossible to play for New York. It's like Knicks fans love their Knicks, and they don't even expect them to do anything. They're happy if they go 500. What are you talking about? The pressure is so great. But I do think in Boston, especially now with the Patriots' dominance and now the Celtics, which forever were the team that was focused out front with the Red Sox, now you have to take a back seat. And you got the Kyrie stuff that happens, like how the media has handled that stuff, I think is is really, really interesting. And sports radio in Boston is unlike anywhere else in the country, that's for sure. When I was in I was at school in Boston at Boston University from 2000 to 2004, and I remember the watching at a bar at, at Who's On First, watching the tuck rule game the snow game between the Patriots and the Raiders watching at a buddy's house and then going there for the second half and watching the yes. tuck rule game, the place going crazy. And then being there for that first Patriots Super Bowl, the upset over the Rams uh-huh. and the place and, and you know, and, and the city itself didn't know what to do with itself. Tom Brady is winning a Super Bowl after Drew Bledsoe had gotten hurt. Now they've won a Super Bowl. And, and this is a city that is, you know, aside from the, the Celtics and the Bruins, I mean, it, it was just defined by the, Red Sox lose it. And then when I graduated, right when I, well, 03 was the Aaron Boone home run. And I remember being at a bar for that. And it was like, I was, I was, I was like trying to hook up with this girl who was, who was older. She was, she was two years, she was two years older, but I was still in college and she saw it as like, oh, I'm just like this college just this college student, but I knew she wanted to, but I don't think she could get over the fact that I was in college. And yeah, we kissed a little bit, but whatever. But that night killed me because everything was going great. And then Aaron Boone <laughs> hit that home run. And then everything was just like the whole city was, the whole city was depressed. And so was she. So that, not know, tonight. Man, I, I, not tonight. No, 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 no. It didn't work that night. And then, you know, then I graduated. And then that's when, and then 04 happened with the comeback and, and the World Series victory. So again, read everything that, that Chad writes on the Boston Globe and Boston.com. And often and sometimes he'll write some things in uh in Boston magazine, which is uh which is great as well. You can go back and listen to any number of these going ISO episodes on Thursdays. They're all pretty much evergreen, not really time sensitive. So he mentioned Ryan Rosillo, we've had Ryan Odd, Sam Mitchell, Peter Vesey. Howard Beck, plenty in the media, and then also others, Richard Jefferson and others who played in the NBA, Casey Jacobson, and so many more. And then on Tuesdays, you'll get the two of us, about 25, 30 minutes talking hoops and a little bit of life as well. You can follow Adam on Twitter at NaysmithLives. I'm at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V. We all hope you have a wonderful start to 2020. It's never too late to say Happy New Year, especially if it's the first time you're seeing somebody I don't care if it's in February. You can still say Happy New Year. Adam, thanks, pal. You are the best.